Well, before I start today, I'm going to uh, pray again. I'm going to stand right here while I do it. Is that okay with you? Okay. Our Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for each one of us in this room. Lord, I freely give over the, the thought that the responsibility for your word being in amongst us today rests entirely on you. Lord, that if, if I'm to preach your word, God, we trust that you will make sure that that happens. I think of everyone in this room, Lord. I, I know that even if I had the, the best, most well-crafted sermon I've ever prepared, Lord, I know that the most important thing is that your spirit would speak to our hearts. I know that each person in this room, as they've come here today, they've brought different elements of baggage with them, Lord. They've, they've, uh, they've got thoughts going on, Lord. They've got things that they're thinking about for later today or this week. Lord, bogging down the mind and the, the, the heart. So, Lord, I pray that you would blast through all of that. And that your spirit might deliver the important message of the gospel to each heart in this room today. Lord, I pray this, Lord, not based on anything other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, that I have the, bold, the ability to enter in with boldness into your throne room, not because I've been a good person, but Lord, because Jesus was righteous. and His righteousness has been freely given. And so, Lord, I claim the name of Jesus when I pray this for each one in this room, that they will not miss what you might have for them today. In his name I pray. Amen. I'm going to read, and I, I hate to make you stand again, but uh, I'd like you to stand for the reading of Scripture today, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to read it. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. And if you just want to listen... Uh, I encourage you to listen along uh, as I read this passage of Scripture. Ephesians 3, 1-13 says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things." So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You can be seated. Now I'm just going to stay down here today. No podium. I just want to talk to you today. And uh, we're going to talk through this passage of Scripture, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Uh, In this passage, we've already talked about it once. Uh, About four weeks ago, we started this chapter 3, and I talked about how Paul was getting personal. And as he got personal, he kind of starts sharing some things about himself, and and he kind of sandwiches these thoughts about himself between two thoughts about suffering. He talks about being a prisoner, he talks about suffering. And I called this section, uh, how, how Big is Your View of the Gospel? And Paul, Paul's view of the gospel was big enough that he was willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Right? He's willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Now, as we take a look at this, before I go any further, let me blank the screen out there. Let me ask you a question. If you had a a big secret revealed to you, something that had been a secret for a long time. Something about learning some new piece of information involves a a response, right? There's certain responsibility in learning something new. Now, sometimes the response might be to keep it a secret. Like, for example, if you're working in the government and somebody reveals to you a top-secret mission... Part of the responsibility inherent in hearing this top secret mission is to do what? Keep it a secret. But now, there's some truths that when you hear about them, when the, when the truth has something to do with somebody's life or death, doesn't it kind of trump everything else? Like, it might be top secret, but if you find out, if I don't say something, these people are going to die. Right? Right? You kind of have a responsibility to say something, don't you? The very first time I ever preached at Edgewood, I was a young kid, and I preached Ezekiel chapter 33. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 33, God is talking to the prophet Ezekiel, and he tells Ezekiel, he says, you're, you're kind of like a watchman. Okay, so imagine a city in a wall, right? A walled-in city. And you would have a watchman many times up on the wall, and what's the watchman supposed to do? Watch. (laughs) Not tricky, is it? In the story of the watchman, God tells Ezekiel, he says, now now if the watchman, he's just kind of talking through with Ezekiel kind of the responsibility of the watchman, which would be true with any watchman. If the watchman doesn't see the enemy coming, well, he's off the hook, isn't he? He couldn't have done anything about it anyway. If the watchman sees the enemy coming, and he doesn't warn the people. Right? He just heads for the hills himself. If the watchman sees the enemy coming, he doesn't warn the people. God tells Ezekiel, and this just makes absolute common sense. He says, the people, now they'll still die because of their own iniquity. And he's kind of, you know, bleeding over the illustration to refer to God. You know, God is going to come as a judge one day, and, and when he comes... You know, people will die because of their own sin. 
But God tells Ezekiel, he says, if, if the watchman sees and doesn't warn, their blood will be on whose hands? The watchman's. Right? I mean, if you were up on a tower and you were the guard and you see the enemy coming and you go, oh, this is going to be bad, and you just take off, you just shirked your responsibility for the people that you were watching out for, didn't you? I mean, see, there's something inherent about seeing. Even if you weren't a watchman, couldn't you make a good argument to say, if you, say you're just strolling the, the city wall and you looked out and you saw disaster headed your way, isn't there just inherent in learning that kind of information a responsibility to share that information? Absolutely. I want you to notice that right at the very beginning of this passage, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul's talking about being a prisoner, and, and he makes a little assumption. He says, assuming uh, that you have heard of the stewardship. Now, the word stewardship, before I read the rest of that, the stewardship, the word stewardship means management or oversight, like a steward over something, right? So, for example, a steward might be somebody where I, maybe I own a business, but instead of running the business myself, I say, hey, I've got to go out of town for a while. You, uh, I'm going to put you over my business for a while. That's a steward. Same word. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And so if I were to title what I'm going to talk to you about today, it would be this. The responsibility. That's what the word stewardship. Stewardship, not about, stewardship isn't about ownership. Stewardship is about responsibility. Right? And so I want to talk to you about Paul's understanding of the responsibility of the gospel. Right? The responsibility of the gospel. And so according to Paul, he says, I'm assuming you've heard about the stewardship, the responsibility that I have. Now, why did Paul feel like he had a responsibility for the gospel? Well, it's, it's pretty clear right away. Because the gospel was revealed to him. Notice if you... Look, and I read this once, but let's look at it again. Right after he talks about the stewardship of God's grace, what does he go right into? Verse 3 says, How the mystery, because he's talking about the grace that was given to me for you, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, and he describes how it was given to him. How was it given to him? Verse 3, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. He's not being prideful. He's just saying, it's been revealed to me. I didn't figure this out. God just revealed it to me. And if you know anything about Paul's conversion, did, did Paul become a follower of Jesus because he was studying the Word of God? No. How did, how did Paul come to know Jesus? <laughs> yeah, Jesus had to stop him dead in his tracks, didn't he? So Paul's not being prideful. He's saying, you've got to understand my, my insight into the gospel. God just revealed it to me. I wasn't even looking for it, and God revealed the gospel to me. And so he says, uh, he says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. In other words, this is something we've talked about, and so I don't want to elaborate on this too much because we've we spent a lot of time talking about the gospel, that in, in the Old Testament times, the full understanding of what God was going to do in his Messiah, they didn't understand it all. So in other generations, it hasn't been revealed how it was being revealed now through Paul. That Jesus, it was all about Jesus, that the Messiah was going to come and he wasn't just going to be a political liberator from the Romans. 
that the, the Messiah was actually going to be God in the flesh. And He was going to offer Himself for the sins of the world. That's, that's amazing news. That solves a lot more problems than that, what they knew about, wasn't it? I mean, there was a ton of problems. Sure, yeah, we're being run by the Romans and we want to have our temple back to worship the way we want to and there's spiritual issues with the Pharisees. And a lot of people knew that. Jesus wasn't the only one that saw the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. There's plenty of historical writings that talk about how people were critiquing the Pharisees. and their stuff. So there's spiritual issues, there's political issues. But when God showed up, He didn't stop with just solving those problems. He fixed the real problem. Man's a sinner. Man's a sinner. Like G.K. Chesterton, a writer in England, was asked one time, what's, man, what's the biggest problem in man, with mankind? And you know what he answered? I am. Why did he say that? Because he knew that we're, each one of us were sinners. That's the problem. And so Jesus came. And that's the gospel message. So he, he carries on. He says, verse 6, he says, The mystery is that the Gentiles... See, this is the biggest mystery of it all, is that God wasn't just going to save just the Jews, but it was going to be for everyone. And so the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so Paul believed and understood that the gospel had been revealed. This good news, that's what the word gospel means, had been revealed. And so Paul understood that revelation to include a responsibility. So he said, I'm a steward of the gospel because it was been revealed to me. For just a moment, think about it. That makes absolute sense. Absolute common sense. Right? If you were, if you were walking along um, you know, through, through downtown Danville for some reason and you just happen to glance into a side building and you're like, man, what is that? And you notice the door was open. You, you open up and you walked in and, and it, this wouldn't happen quite like this, but you walked in and you saw sitting right there was this huge contraption and it was kind of partially behind a curtain and you kind of pulled it back like, what is this thing? And, and no, it wouldn't say this, but let's say just for sake of example, let's say it said nuclear warhead ready to detonate and it had a timer on it. Now, whether you wanted it or not, whether you were looking for it or not, you are now a steward of that responsibility, aren't you? There's news that needs to be shared. And because you, it was revealed to you, in that case by accident, doesn't make you any less responsible. If you just went home and got your family out of town, that would be very irresponsible if you didn't begin to say things to other people. There's a responsibility. Because of revelation, there's responsibility. You know, this is true for you as well. How many of you in here believe that the Bible is true? How many believe the Bible is God's Word? You know, the Bible says of itself, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, and it's, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness. But the key is that it's, it's, it's all God's Word. All Scripture is given by God. I, I believe that most of you believe that. Do you believe that the Bible is the only book that contains God's Word? Yeah. You guys didn't raise your hands that time. <laughs> yes. Right? The Bible is God's Word. So see, you have God's revelation in your hands. If you've got Bibles with you today, you have God's revelation. Like Paul, who had it revealed in a different way, you've had it revealed through God's Word. 
You have God's revelation that you're able to read through each day. I mean, in the same way, you have this. And the truth is, Jesus is the only way. If you believe the Bible is true, you believe Jesus is the way. Uh, this last week, I saw an interview with Rick Warren, who is an author, but also a pastor. And, and he was asked on ABC, they asked him, Rick Warren, do you believe that Jesus is the way, the only way? And I loved his answer. He said, he said absolutely. He says, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And he said, you know what? And I love this. Ready for this? He says, I'm staking everything on the fact that Jesus wasn't a liar. Right? Do you think Jesus was a liar? No. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And so Rick Warren said, I'm staking everything on the fact that Jesus didn't lie. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus is a liar? No. Do you believe Jesus was telling the truth? Yeah. Do you believe Jesus is the only way to God? Absolutely. You, you've been let in. Most of you didn't figure this out because you were just a really smart person. Right? God has revealed it to you through His Word. You know, one of the things I love about that concept of being the way, you may not realize this, but before Christians got the nickname Christians, which Christians is, is a nickname. Did you know that? In the book of Acts, it tells us that uh, in the this, this city of Antioch, disciples, followers of Jesus, were first called Christians. It was a nickname. Do you know what the, the first nickname was, though, that I, that I know of? There was a nickname before Christians was being used. Before Christians were called Christians, they were called something else. And Paul, before he was a Christian, uh, he actually had this written up, so he wanted to go kill these followers of Jesus, and they had a nickname. They were called the People of the Way. Right? Acts chapter 9, verse 2, one of the first nicknames that they were given was the People of the Way. Why? Because they were going around saying, Jesus is the way. He's the only way. We are the people of the way. And we believe this. This has been revealed to us. But now, as I said before, there's a certain response that's necessary, isn't there? With having information given to us, there's a response that's necessary. And this is what Paul gets into next, is the gospel response. And so I want to get to verse... 7, okay, verse 7, uh, for the gospel response. And that's what we're going to talk about, the gospel response, verse 7. And let's read it here. It says, of this gospel, this good news, right, of this good news, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. Now, that by the working of His power, he's just referring back to the, how, how He became a, 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 someone who knew the gospel, right? God, in a powerful way, worked in Paul's life, just as he's done in everybody else's life, because if we were left to ourselves, not a one of us would be a Christian. But because of God's grace and the working of his power, you've turned and you've said, hopefully, you've looked and said, Jesus is the way and I'm going to trust him with my life. That was according to the working of God's power, just like Paul. Not, none of us in this room could say, I turned to Jesus because I am really smart. No, you did it for another reason. You did it because of the working of his power. But notice that Paul says, I was made a minister, right? And so number one, our response to the gospel is to be made a minister. Now this response is not about us. This is how God responds. As he's revealed truth to you, he's also made you a minister. Now this is an interesting word. 
this Greek word that's translated minister, right? It's going to be confusing. Let me tell you why this is confusing. Here's why it's confusing. Before I tell you what it means. I have a lot of people will come up to me sometimes and say, Oh, I heard you're a minister. What do they mean when they say that word? Pastor, right? Okay, now this Greek word that's translated minister, this same Greek word shows up in a few other places in the Bible. Uh, Sometimes it shows up as the word servant. Sometimes it shows up as the word deacon. When you see the word deacon, it's basically the same Greek word that you're seeing right here. So when Paul's talking about being made a minister, what's he talking about? Because that's not what I thought a minister was. What's he talking about? Well, this word, in this case, this is talking about someone to serve. In fact, what it literally means is one who executes the commands of somebody else. Right? This word is talking about somebody that says, you know what? Everything I'm doing is based on what I've been told to do. Right? I'm just executing the commands of somebody else. This is like Paul's way of saying, I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living because of the gospel. Right? God has made me a minister. This gospel is so big, so amazing. I can't even put words around it. I'm made to minister the gospel. And so our first response to hearing this gospel message that Jesus is the way, that he's the only way, that he's come to take care of the problems of this world through the sacrifice of himself and the giving of his righteousness to you, the response, the proper response to that would be to be made a minister to God. God is making you a minister, right? Not meaning you're a pastor, but God has made you a minister, someone who's simply now, from this point on, because you know the gospel message, from this point on you're saying, I'm not living for me anymore, I'm living for Christ and for the spreading of the gospel. You do not live on this world so that you can have a great life. You're here, right? To minister the gospel to others. To share this truth with others. That's why you're here. I've heard people say this, and this isn't a perfect illustration, but there's, a, there's some truth to it. If, if God was concerned with just getting you saved to go to heaven, then, then why wouldn't he just say, okay, you've you got faith now, I'm just going to go ahead and take you home, give you heaven right now. It's sad how many of us live, and we make so many of our efforts to try to get little pieces of heaven right now. Right? The perfect vacation home. The perfect vacation. The perfect house. The perfect this. The perfect that. I want things to be beautiful and great and wonderful and nice. And so that, That's not why you're here. You're here to be a minister of the gospel. And so our first response to the gospel message is to be made a minister. God is making you a minister of the gospel as he's revealed it to you. Which, once again, just makes sense. If you've heard the truth of the gospel there's a responsibility to then share that gospel. And this should be the primary thing of your life. And it was for Paul. Right? It was for Paul. No longer was Paul living for himself. He's living for the gospel. And this led him to do two things. There's two things that he understood as he's been made a minister of the gospel. There's two things that he needed to do. The next one comes up in the next verse. Verse 8 says this, To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given... Right? And he's just referring to this grace was given to me to do this, so I'm the least of all of God's chosen people. 
That's what the word saint means. What is it? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now sometimes when the, the, the word preach shows up in the Bible, it's a word that means to be a herald, like someone proclaiming something. In this case, it's, it's, it's very similar to the word gospel, good news. It literally means to, um, to be a messenger of the gospel, right? To be a messenger of the gospel. Paul is not talking, when he says, I've been made a minister and I've been called to preach, he's not talking about a position in a church. He's simply talking about the gospel's been revealed to me. I have a responsibility. I've been made a minister. I'm executing the commands of another. And my first task, my primary task, is to be a delivery system for this gospel to other people. Right? To be a delivery system. I've heard the gospel. I believe this. My primary task is to begin to deliver this message to others. I have the good news. I'm automatically, if you have the good news, you're automatically a messenger of the good news to preach it to others. And when I say preach, I'm not talking about you're going to get up and deliver a sermon. I'm saying you're delivering the gospel. There's other people that need to have the gospel. And so your, your primary concern is, okay, I've got the gospel. I'm going to deliver the gospel. The second aspect of this is going to be in verse 9 where he says, uh, and to bring light, bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? Okay? Now, I'm not focusing on every little detail of this passage. I'm trying to get a big picture concept of what he's talking about. So, as he's made a minister, his first thing is to then be a messenger, right? To, to share the gospel message with others. To, to proclaim it. To preach it is how we see the word. But secondly, is to bring light. Now, this word is actually... To bring to light is actually one Greek word, and it means to enlighten. I mean, you're to be, because you have the gospel, you're to be like a little child that runs into a building looking for all the light switches. i got to turn them all on. You're to be an enlightener of the people of this world. They're in darkness. And you have a responsibility, because of the gospel, to bring light to other people people, to share that light. I mean, there's a connection in this to missions, as Paul was a missionary going out, but there's also a connection to this as just wherever you're at, to be bringing light to others, to bring the gospel, to enlighten, to open their eyes, right? This plan, the mystery that's hidden, this is a big picture concept of what's going on in the history of the world, the history of the universe, in God. And just to show you how big it is, I'm going to get to how big of a picture this is in just a second, the, the picture of the gospel, right? This is how big is your view of the gospel? This is a big idea that needs to be shared with the people of this world. And we need to be sharing it with those. I want to share a little statistic with you right now, just to show you how in darkness, we mentioned this earlier when I said our kids are in darkness. I shared this with uh, my Sunday school class this morning. Uh, just in the last 20 or so years, um, of our youth, people who have been involved in the, in the youth programs in churches, right? Which is interesting because a lot of people say, does this church have a good youth, youth program for my kids or does this church? But here's an interesting fact for you. Just since the advent of that and just in the last so many years where it's really gone big, this has come about. 70%, just since we've started having youth programs for kids, 70% of our youth 
when they graduate from high school, leave church and never come back. Now, if, if you think in your head, the way a church is going to survive is we've got to have a good youth program. We may want to have a good youth program. But the facts show. I mean, if, if you had a program, if you were running a business, and you said, I'm going to start doing something new here, um, and, and you were getting those kind of results, what would you do? Now, I'm not suggesting we chuck that idea, but we have to understand that with, our, with people having the light brought to them, having their eyes opened, understanding the gospel, it's not about a program. It's about you. You are someone to share the gospel and share the truth, present it to them. You're a minister of the gospel, but also to be someone. You have a responsibility to open their eyes. Just like if, if, if you really did walk into a building and you opened the door and you saw the big bomb and everything and you went out and you, you got to tell people, there's time to escape, we got to get out. Now, if you walked up to the first person and you said, there's, there's, time to, there's a bomb in there, we got to go. If they said, yeah, whatever, you wouldn't just go, you know. Now, you might after a while, when time was getting close, you might just go to the, whoever would listen to you. But, but wouldn't you at least try to say, no, you don't understand. Let me help you understand. There is a bomb. <laughs> right? You'd try to talk slower or explain it in a different way. Don't you understand? Or maybe you grab the person, drag them to the windows. It's right there. Do you see it? Wouldn't you have a responsibility to try to do those things? But yet, how many of us, you know the gospel, you said you did a little while ago, take little to no effort to try to open people's eyes to understand it. In fact, when you start talking about the gospel to people, and they go, yeah, you go, huh? You're shirking your responsibility. You will, quicker than you know, stand before God. And you will give an account of what kind of steward you've been of the gospel. Are you ready? Are you ready today to stand before God and give an account of how you've shared the gospel? I mean, so many times we go, oh, I cannot wait to get to heaven. I can't wait to go to heaven. But are you really ready today? I mean, seriously, right now, are you ready to stand before God and give an account for how you've shared the gospel? This has been on my heart so much these past couple days because of what I shared earlier. Asking myself the question, have I done everything that I could to share the gospel with the people that I'm around? Are are you you just glad that you're not going to have to face the big bomb in the house? Right? What about everybody around you? Are you, you okay with that? Are you ready today? You're really ready today to stand before God and give an account for how you've lived. I, I would wager that most of us in this room would say, you know, when you think about it that way, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't know if we will see... I mean, it seems like when you read the Bible that there's some element of, of we're together because we, we, get, we get mental pictures of Jesus talking about like separating the sheep from the goats. I mean, are we going to see some of those people that we've been around on this planet? Are, are any going to look at us and go, 
I thought I understood, but I didn't get it. Now I get it, and it's too late. And they're going to see you? I mean, will there be interaction? I don't know. Are they going to see you and go, wait a minute, you knew? Why didn't you say something? No amount of, why well, I, I said that one time, could you go to church with me? We have a responsibility as ministers of the gospel to not just share it, but to try to open the eyes, to try to bring to light the plan that was hidden for ages past. This, this is a mis- the mystery of the world. What's, what's it all about? It's about Jesus. This is what it's all about. This is the secret to life and everything. It's Jesus. And we have a responsibility to share that message. But now I want to look at, finally, the response. Verse 10, or the result. I'm sorry, not the response, the result. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Now, manifold wisdom, manifold means many-faceted. Like, think about a diamond that has all these little facets to it, right? The manifold wisdom of God is like saying the many-faceted. God's wisdom is is multifaceted. And notice, so that through the church, the many-faceted with the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, right? And that the knowledge is revealed is what that means. Now, And notice it says now, not referring to in the future, but right now is what Paul's talking about, that right now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who? Some versions say principalities and powers or rulers and powers. In what places? In heavenly places. Remember a little while ago I said, I want you to get, a, get an idea of how big this is, how big this responsibility is, how big the gospel is. Uh, Peter refers to something very similar to this. Peter in, in uh, 1 Peter 1.12 is referring to the gospel. And in referring to the gospel, Peter says, angels even long to look into these things. I want you to understand what this verse means. Ephesians 3.10 says, is, it, this is what it means. It means that through the church, the angelic beings will get it. There, there are angels that spend their, their whole time worshiping God. And Paul tells us that it's going to be through the church that they're going to see just how multifaceted the wisdom of God is. This is big. Are you holding your responsibility to the gospel the right way? It's through us that angels are going to get how amazing the wisdom of God is. It's through us, people like us, in church, sharing the gospel, presenting it, preaching it, being ministers of it. That was the gospel result. So what do we do with these thoughts? Well, first of all, I want to preach the gospel to you for just a moment. You're a sinner. There's a lie circulating in America today that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. That's a lie. 
bad people that have faith in Jesus Christ are the ones who will stand with Him in heaven. Good people who believe that they are good will spend an eternity in hell because they have not seen their need to put all of their faith and trust in God's chosen one, Jesus Christ. If you think in your head, I've been a pretty good person, I'm going to go to heaven, you're a sinner. It's not true. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of God's glory. The wages of your sin is death. But in Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ, when He came to this world, He lived out a life from birth to death of righteousness. Perfect in every way. And when He died on the cross, He bore your sins. He bore the wrath of God that was meant for you on Himself. Then He rose up again from the grave. And His righteous life, as He defeated death, His righteousness is imputed onto you. He took your sin to the cross and He imputes it onto you. But righteousness does not come by you being righteous and good. Righteousness only comes because of faith. Where you get to that point in your life where you say, you know what, I don't trust myself. I, the only one I trust, I'm banking everything on Jesus. If Jesus says, jump off this cliff, I'm jumping off it. Jesus says, go to church, I'm going to church. Whatever Jesus says to do, I'm doing it. I have, my faith is in Him. The obedience that I'm doing towards Jesus isn't what saves me, so I don't have to worry about getting it right. I don't have to worry about obeying Him perfectly. But man, if, if I know He tells me to do something, I'm doing it because I trust Jesus. Jesus is the only way, and I'm putting all of my hope, all of my confidence in Him. So I want to ask you, are you is your faith really in Jesus? Not, do you believe Jesus exists? I'm asking you, not, do you believe Jesus exists? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying... Is your faith in Jesus? Is He the one that's dictating how you live your life? If it's not, that's something that today you need to have repentance. You need to change your mind. Because He's worth it. Paul tells us he wanted to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. He's worth it. Whatever you think you want to live for in this life, it's not worth it. But Jesus is. He's worth it. If you spend yourself for Him, you will not regret it. If you lose everything and all you have is Christ, you will not regret it. He's worth it. He's worth it. So I want to share that gospel message with you. But I also want to say this. Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there real quick. And I might have somebody read this for me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. If somebody wants to turn there, and I'm going to have somebody read nice and loud for me. Would anybody like to read that nice and loud? Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. First person that finds it says, willing to read it out loud, raise your hand, and I'll call on you. All right, go ahead. Yeah, read it nice and loud for me. Hide it under a bushel. No. (laughs) What are we going to do? I'm going to let it shine. Nobody, having the light that we're talking about, 
Nobody in their right mind, understanding the things that we're talking about, we're talking about the hope for all of humanity. Nobody having that truth would go out into the world and hide it. Well, I don't really want to broadcast that I'm like a Christian. I don't want, to, I don't want people to think I'm one of the people of the way. Right? Those people back then, they were called the people of the way because that's all they talked about. And then some of them, the followers of Jesus, they were called Christians, which means little Christ. I mean, they were living so much for Jesus that the whole city started calling a bunch of little Jesuses walking around. Well, I don't really want to be called that. I don't want to be so much. I mean, I don't mind believing in God, but to like just make that everything I talk about and everything I do, people are going to get annoyed by me and they're not going to be, going to be around me. And you never know, they may get really, really mad at me. And if there's enough of us doing it, they might really turn on us the whole country and they're going to want to kill us. Wouldn't that be awesome? If we started living in such a way that the nation turned against us, because all we cared about was Christ and all we preached was Christ and all we talked about was Jesus. If we started going around saying, He's the only way, He's your only hope, well, that's kind of intolerant, isn't it? But are we willing to say it? If you have the light of Christ, don't hide it. There's a man, though, St. Francis of Assisi, who I used to talk about, and I used to love this quote. St. Francis is attributed with this. Preach always. If necessary, use words. I want to tell you right now, it is absolutely always necessary to use words. If you think you're doing what God wants you to do by just living it, you're wrong. And just so there's no confusion and so that you'll believe me, I'd like to turn to Romans chapter 10. Just so you know that it is necessary to use words. Romans 10.13 is a very famous one. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? And we, we love that passage. But I want you to hear what it, Paul says right after that. Verse 14, Romans 10.14, he says, How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? In other words, you can't really call on the name. Calling on the name of the Lord is not just about voicing something. It's about something deeper. You can't really call on the name of the Lord unless you believe. And then what does it say? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have not, whom they've never what? Heard. And how in the world... It doesn't say in the world. I added that. How in the world are they to hear without what? Someone preaching. Someone proclaiming it. Someone heralding the message. People are not going to believe in Jesus because you've been a good Christian. They've got to hear. They will never believe unless they've heard. Let me read it again. How then uh, will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preach always. If necessary, use words. And I hate to tell you, it's always necessary to use words. You're going to use words with some people and they're going to think you're a nut. Okay? America's full of darkness. And when you start talking about Jesus being the only way and Jesus is the only hope, or you start talking about genuine salvation and genuine faith and what that really means, that it, it doesn't mean you just believe. You've got to bring light. See, the, the lies in our world today are not like the lies. Paul was battling Zeus. 
right? And those kind of lies and idols and things like that. We have a different kind of battle that we have. There's a different kind of eyes we have to open. We've got to open up the eyes that believe that all I have to do is acknowledge that God exists and I'm going to go to heaven. They're not going to believe until you begin to talk about it. And I tell you what, if you start talking the gospel the way you're supposed to, people are going to start thinking you're a nut. They're going to not like you, some of them. But how are you going to take your responsibility of the gospel? You're a steward of the gospel. You've been made a minister because it's been revealed to you. You are to preach it as a messenger of the gospel. You're to bring light. You're to open the eyes of the blind. Right? And by God's grace alone, can we ever even begin to tackle this, this, this task set before us? Only by God's grace. And if you read through that passage again, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, I don't have time to get into it today, but you'll see he keeps referring to something over and over again. Grace. By his grace. By God's power. By his grace. By his grace. By the working of his grace. By the power of his grace. Just of his grace. He just keeps saying it over and over again. Why? Because if we had this task on, we'd never get it accomplished. That you're the light of the world. But not only that, there's a bigger result at stake. The angels are depending on you working out the, the, the results, right? The responsibility is on you. And angels are going to see what you're doing and sharing the gospel and go, Oh, God is amazing. Maybe they're talking to each other about it. As people live out and they present the gospel, maybe they're up there sharing it with each other. Oh, God is amazing. Look at the manifold wisdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so very much for your gospel. I thank you, God, that you came not just to be a political liberator or, or a, a spiritual defender uh, of what it really means to live and, and follow after you, but it was even more than that. You went beyond those things, and, and God, you came yourself. You lived a righteous life. And then, as a surprise to everyone, you died on a cross, taking the penalty of everybody else's sin upon yourself. And then what did you do, Lord? You defeated death. And you've taken the righteousness that you lived and earned and, and worked out in your own life and you freely offer it to anyone who says, Jesus is the way. And I'm going to follow Jesus. This is an amazing message. And we have a responsibility to share it with everyone we know. I don't know how to do that. But God, I believe that by your grace, you will teach me how to be a good minister of your grace and your gospel. That you will, by your grace and by your power, help me to open eyes I pray for all in this room. Lord, many of us in this room, if we are honest, we would not be ready to stand before you today. We would not be ready, Lord, some of us, because we've never put our faith in you. Not genuinely. Yeah, we've acknowledged that you exist, but to, to really just abandon everything and follow Jesus, we've not gotten there. And there may be some in this room that they're not there yet. Yeah, they love what Jesus could do for them, but they're not ready or willing to just say, I'm going to give you everything. 
I pray for those in this room today that they've not gotten to that point. I pray, God, that your spirit would work on them, that you'd open their eyes to see that this is their only hope. Father God, I pray for the rest in this room that they've they, they put their faith in you, but Lord, they're not ready to stand before you because they've not been a faithful minister to, to present the gospel, to, to share the gospel. They've been a pretty decent person. But to stand before you and give an account for the responsibility that's been given, because we've been given the gospel, we're not ready. So we ask, Lord, that you would tarry, you would give us more time, Lord, that we would, Lord, we desire to stand before you and to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. What I've given you to do, you've done. Lord, I pray that we would strive and work for that for your sake. Not to earn heaven, God. God forbid that we would even let that cross our minds. But instead, Lord, just in pure gratitude, we would give you our lives to serve you in the gospel. I pray, God, that according to Ephesians 3.10, that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heaven. Lord, I pray to you today that you would do what is necessary in this church to get us to the place where your wisdom will be seen in this church. And in Jesus' name I pray that. Amen.